Hello, this is Laura Camacho, and welcome to the Speak Up Podcast. This is episode number 116, and we're talking about comedy and work. So I am the culture fixer at Nixonian Institute, and I find being funny really difficult, but very important. Humor is just such a great way to really bond with people to catch their interest because good humor or comedy always involves surprise. So you are in luck today. You're going to get to listen to my interview with Charlie Nadler, who is the co-founder and the chief creative officer of LaughDealers.com. So that's laugh, like haha, L-A-U-G-H, dealers, D-E-A-L-E-R-S.com. And his company, not only can you, can you find a comedian for hire if you want that, but he can get people to help you spiff up a PowerPoint presentation or any kind of talk or any kind of meeting. He can help you develop jokes for work or for a specific audience. And I think humor can be really challenging. So Charlie's going to spill the tea, and I'm going to pop you right into our conversation. I've heard of Lunch Club? I no. Mean, um, it's really cool, especially in these times. It is a virtual kind of networking um, startup, and they just connect interesting people who align on similar kind of either whether they're peers or if they have certain... Um, interest whether it's like someone trying to raise funding and then they'll have funders it's um and it's just an algorithm that pairs people up it's it's backed by Andreessen Horowitz so it's a pretty up-and-coming startup um but uh yeah it's great it's it's once a week or you can even do more but I do once a week and you just kind of have a VC with someone interesting and she was one of uh, these people uh, a week or two ago two weeks ago I guess Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Well, now I am now enlightened. Thank you. Yeah, I can that's, send you an invite if you're curious. Yes, please do. I would love that because I feel like, I, um, like I'm breathing with one lung or something, you know, because I'm just used to getting out and meeting people and talking to people. And Yeah, well, it's pretty funny because the idea of going to lunch for that purpose in this current state, it's like a great concept. Like it really works. Uh, yes, please send me an invite. So, but I, it's great to meet you. I listened to her um, podcast with you today. It was a nice conversation. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, she's super easy to talk to. I'm sure you are, too. Uh, so so you ma you're like the manager for comedians. Is that what you do? Kind of. So it's um, so we're a marketplace uh, platform uh, we just launched, and we basically describe it as the Etsy for comedy. So um, basically, if you are a stand-up comedian, you can sign up for our service and have your own storefront and shingle for your services. So whether it's getting booked traditionally as a stand-up, whether a virtual show or live, but also writing services, so speech writing, um, you know, script doctoring, um, experiential stuff. Let's say you give a walking tour of um you know charlotte or something and it's funny mm -hmm. you can sell tickets for that i mean it's really we really want to open it up so that comedians can really just sell whatever is um, something that they're good at it could also be you know their album i want to know if a person has a, a, a non-comedian person has a talk and they want help to make it funnier can you get that also Exactly. Yeah. So there are, that's one of the things we found before we started this platform version. It was just me and my co-founder and it was more of a lifestyle company. And we found that public speakers 
we're some of our core um, segment of customers because there are a lot of folks out there who are really, um, you know, have a really great presentation or product and they just want maybe three or four jokes to be put into their PowerPoint. Yes. Um, so that is like a, a real core. And unfortunately right now the events industry is, is really all virtual. Yes. Um, yes. It was a, yeah. It was a really valuable thing. And um, what's great about professionals needing the service is they have polished content. They have, their point of view is already established. They have their own voice and it's really clear. And for a comedian to come in with fresh eyes and be able to punch that up for them, it's much easier than, you know, some procrastinator best man, you know, who needs a speech the next day. And like, we all do have that, that, you know, people can, can post, but it's always nicer working with them. people who have their act together. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. Uh, because yeah, I'm terrible at jokes and I have a like three <laughs> that I've used for about 15 years. <laughs> Probably they could use <laughs> a little freshening up, but that's very cool because humor is so, such a powerful tool for communication. I agree. And so how did you get into this? Is this your, are you one of these serial startup people or did you, are you a comedian? So, yeah, so I'm a comedian. Um, I hope I'm not a, a serial startup person because it's a lot of work having this <laughs> startup. Um, yes. this, this was born out of just a, an idea that was very applicable. So as a comedian, I had friends always asking me to help them with their toasts or vows or, you know, other content for their weddings. And um, I approached my long-term friend who's the CTO for the company now. And mm-hmm. he's just, um, you know, we agreed that it was an area that was ripe for having comedians sort of help punch up content in all forms. And he was the one that thought, it, I thought it would just be a toast writing app or something, but he had the vision that, that it could be really all content and, you know, consulting on a, a much larger level for comedians. So, um, so that's what it was born out of. And then we just have continued to pursue the idea. And then COVID really accelerated the platform version because I had a lot of friends who were stand-ups and maybe they did the tonight show in january and quit their day job and we're now going to be doing this full time and then we found out that a pandemic can just shutter your industry for indefinite periods of time and um so it just really hit home that that concept of wanting to figure out other business verticals that comedians could explore outside of just being booked uh, as performers so and and i do really believe that comedians are a very underutilized um, professional population. I agree. I think you're going to soar and you won't need to do any more startups because they are hard. (laughs) But, and I'm going to, yeah, I mean, besides the podcast, I have a newsletter. I'm going to definitely be telling my community about you uh, because it it is just, if you can get an audience to laugh in the beginning, yeah. Your job is like gone. <laughs> They're with you. So tell me, uh, like, how do you meet comedians? How do, how do you get out there and draw, drum up business among comedians? Sure. Um, so, I mean, the, the nice part is as a, I started doing comedy in 2010, so I'm coming up on my 10-year uh, comedy anniversary. I lived in Los Angeles for eight years and then New York City for four, so I just know a lot of comedians oh, just, yeah. just from that. So so the, the supply side 
is pretty easy as far as um, just having comedians I respect and then also knowing comedians you know, who can refer other mm -hmm. talented writers. Um, you know, the sweet spot, it's interesting, is finding, you know, comedians are such a, a wide group of people. We're all connected by loving stand-up and loving jokes, but there are some comedians who aren't built um, for anything but just telling jokes on a stage. They're, they're not mm -hmm. deadline driven. They're not, they're not the kind of people that might deliver your jokes on time for your corporate keynote address. So there's, so there's that sweet spot of finding people who are also have the business acumen to go along with the, you know, the, just the work ethic of, of writing jokes and, and being able to kind of organize their life in that way. So, so for us, it's finding people who are interested in the writing side and in the sort of business side of show business um, and, and also have, um, you know, pretty good technical ability too with just, uh, you know, sometimes you have to work on someone's PowerPoint or, or something that it's just, it's easier if they have, if they have skills that are, are business skills. But what's nice about a lot of comedians is some of them come from very professional backgrounds. I mean, you have comedians who were surgeons or lawyers or, um, management consultants or executive assistants. So, I mean, so that's what's great about sort of the world is that, and what's great about the, our concept, we hope, is that you can find someone who, who maybe has a very similar background to you. Mm -hmm. um, so speaks your language, speaks the corporate language or whatever sector you're in from that shared experience when they were rising the ranks of comedy. Right. It is, very, it is a very subjective thing too. You want to make sure that your audience has a good fit for the content because, you know, some, as, as I'm sure, you know, some comedy is just purely just does not work for a certain audiences. Products. Right. Yes, that is very true. And who, who like, what, what is your style of comedy? What got you personally into this? It's so hard. I mean, I, could, I can't imagine a more difficult profession than making people laugh. Yeah, it is hard, um, but it's rewarding. I mean, I think, uh, so I went to film school. Um, so I started on a screenwriting track and I still do some screenwriting stuff. But what I found is I always just liked writing and sharing new jokes with audiences. I started out with AOL Instant Messenger when I was in high school and college. And then, you know, Facebook, when they started opening up status updates, that was sort of a medium I used to test material. And, and I was, I was always pretty shy um, and did not, I definitely had a fear of, of public speaking. Um, but I also knew that I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't try stand up just because it was such a pure form of uh, sharing those ideas and those jokes that I was writing. So, um, so I was living in LA and I was working in entertainment and I just sort of made a new year's resolution one year half months, but I did my first open mic, uh, that year of that resolution. And, um, and then you just get hooked. It's just like anything, you, you know, you have the repetition, you have one good joke that gets laughs and then you get, hooked on that feeling and then you just want to sharpen it and then and then you get sort of good at writing jokes and you realize that performing is a whole other dimension to it and that that just makes it even harder but also <laughs> right. and yeah you just sort of start chasing those like little those little goals 
So my next question was, can you tell any, um, a story, an example of how you helped a leader or somebody in, in your company, like helped a leader to really connect with the audience through humor? Sure. Um, so I think the sort of the best way that, that we approach it and the best experience we've had is when someone has a very niche opportunity for an audience that might be new to them. So one of our uh, customer segments that we really have appreciated and, and had good arrangements with our folks who are like public MCs or, you know, public speakers on, on the conference circuit. And so they're going all over the world or the country and they're speaking to trade groups or speaking to, you know, it'll be very specific. It'll be like a, a logging, a group of loggers or something. Or and the funeral home managers. Exactly. They have their own exactly. Um, so, so what we like to do is we like taking their sort of stump speech for you know better for lack of a better term and making it specific to their audience so uh, um a lot so, of value know, there yeah so we'll do a lot of research about that about that sector about that event about those people and you know comedy so much of good comedy in our opinion is just really mining the specificity of a group of people or you know you you want to really use their language and use details that are unique to their work so that they can connect to it on a on a better level especially if it's a stranger who's coming in and, and hosting their event so um so the research component we find is is what makes the humor really pop the most because then you have these you know specific details that they um have in their own world and um so that's that's the kind of you know we've we've done work with logging is one that that stands out there's also a group of people a guy did a conference for like the the people who do like the snow removal in in a city like that group but you know there's just so many fascinating just pockets of industry that you never would know had formal kind of bodies of organizations um right it's like i you know of course having your making your content really uh, tailored to the audience is always a good idea but it seems like what you're doing is like really i mean like finding out what is it crest or colgate or yeah. you know what and that not only it, it can gives you material for a joke but you deliver a pleasant su surprise which just creates so much value. Exactly, and like you were saying earlier, if you can come out there with a really good icebreaker that's funny, you immediately have them engaged, they're retaining the information better, they're more excited to be there, it's not, it's not a chore or something that their boss wanted them to go to. So anytime that you can sort of make the content more sticky with a joke, you're gonna be immensely more powerful as, you know, as, as you're presenting the content. Right. And uh, what do you think about, I work with companies, uh, you know, to communicate better, but the communication is so that everyone feels heard, understood, and valued. It's not, it's not, I'm not a public speaking coach, just like a culture fixer communication coach. And how do you see that someone could use humor, they'll, you know, to, to make their culture better? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, existential problem for kind of modern work that needs to be solved. I think most places need to have really 
protective and fun cultures or else they're not going to be able to retain any of their workforce. I mean, even me earlier in life, I've worked some places that have had very challenging cultures and, and leadership and um, just the churn that you have from your employees when that happens is just, I mean, people, and then just with, with generations, I mean, I'm sort of an elder millennial, but you know, millennials and, and Gen Z, they, there really is this positive transformation of people realizing their life is too short to not work somewhere that aligns with their values or that they feel more personally connected to, um, which I feel like was more of a, a controversial stance for a place to care about people personally um, as their employees in the past. But I think that, um, you know, I think humor in particular, you have that whole sort of concept of if you have a boss who is kind to you and who you aren't scared of, you feel empowered to do good work for them in the same way that if you have a scary boss, you're scared into doing good work for them because of the repercussions. But it's really the same, the same end result with empathy versus antagonism. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of, you know, you see it a lot in startups is that people are, you know, they have the ping pong tables, they have more sort of organized events and, you know, people brag to their friends about that and how, you know, enjoyable it is just to go into the office or how easy they make it by bringing in dentists or whatever, whatever you want to. So I think, I think humor is just another extension of those perks. It's really, you know, I consider it a perk to a job in the same way that they might have a great snack room. Like if you have a funny boss or, you know, funny internal communications, um, your employees will get a lot more out of it and won't just feel like a paycheck to them. Yeah. Well, Charlie, let me ask you a question on that topic because sometimes people ask me that they want to be like what they'll say snarky or it, like on the border between funny and sarcastic and they're, they're a little bit afraid and I'm always saying no be yourself you know as long as you're kind and caring about people of course you can but but what if somebody what what is your advice to walking that line that they're, they're afraid some people are afraid of being inappropriate yeah, no, that's a that's a real concern. I think that's that's why comedy traditionally people avoided it in certain situations, especially in the C-suite, because of that. But I think that there are there are some pretty easy guideposts to keep in mind with with comedy in, in a work situation. I mean, you obviously you want it to be clean in terms of your language. So, you know, you really want it to be like PG and not, not get any, you know, not get even close to being crude or, or, or you know, any kind of swear words. Um, but then also you want it to be like sarcasm is fine. Sarcasm sometimes misses the mark if it's not clever. So it can be misconstrued as just sort of like snarky can just not, not always work in a comedy sense. But I, I think the real big thing to keep in mind um, is not punching down and not victimizing anybody with a joke. And that, that is a real, you know, you can be self-deprecating, which is like the best tool. I mean, the self-deprecation is so great. It's relatable. People see it in themselves. They, you know, they, they appreciate how brave you are making fun of yourself. I mean, that is great. But anytime that you use someone else in a way that you're sort of leveraging your power above them is, is, 
pretty problematic and and I think to be avoided in almost all cases. So I think that as long as people are being clean about it, they're being specific to the work and they're they're kind people and they're not victimizing anyone around them, that, that usually you're you're pretty safe. And and there's a lot of there's so much you can do with with comedy in a work setting. There's a lot, there's just so much content. There's so many different things going on. There's so many different people and events and just ways people work. And so you see a lot of you see a lot of creative stuff being done with people making like funny team videos or, you know, making their newsletter funnier about, you know, what's going on inside the organization. So I think as long as, as long as you still tie it to the work, it's a lot harder to go off base than if you're just sort of trying to bring comedy in, in a non-organic way. Right. Telling some random joke that has nothing to do with the, work well what what advice would you give to someone who's probably listening to this and thinking well how can i be more funny besides hiring you sure. which would sure. be the best option yeah yeah i mean sometimes you do have to bring in someone or just identify someone who who is very funny in your organization i mean there are you know i've worked at a lot of places where you just identify colleagues who have great senses of humor whether it's in just, you know, talking to them or in their email style. Um, so there's sometimes you can utilize just internal talent in that way. Um, but really, I mean, the, the main thing is, is the specificity angle and, and really drawing from what you know in your organization. So if you want to be funny in your work, it's finding ways to take the content that you would generate normally and see how can I make this clever or funny. Um, so let's say you're putting together a slide deck for you know, an upcoming meeting, it's like you're looking at those slides and you're saying, you know, what, what angles of this material can be funny to my colleagues or to my audience, whatever stakeholders are involved. So um, the specificity thing is, is the most key, making sure you're thinking about your audience and who's going to be on the other side of the material and, you know, who those people are, what their values are, what they you know, what you think would be funny to them and also doing stuff that you think would be funny because that's a, that's a major thing you hear about from comedians giving each other advice is that you want to create material that you yourself find funny. As soon as you're trying to think about what others might think and not thinking about it from your own philosophy and, and lens, that, that opens it up to, you know, being harder to make stuff um, that will, you'll actually be able to sell yourself. I love that. Yes. Uh, so being true to yourself, but I have, I have this saying that I say all the time, which is specific is terrific. And, <laughs> and Charlie is proving that I'm right. You I are. <laughs> specific is terrific. All right. Um, what about a new, new ish leader manager? you know, mid-level, afraid of being self-deprecating, what are you going to say to that person to address that fear so that he or she can just relax into it? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, your work ethic and your work really speaks for itself. So if they're, if they're confident that they're delivering the work that they've been asked to do in their role, people will look at the self-deprecation as just a sensibility and something that you know that shows their vulnerability in a in a 
in a good way and in a fun way and someone who they enjoy laughing with and being around. And I think that, you know, you also want to be in the same way that you don't want to victimize others. You don't want to victimize yourself if it means you're putting down the quality of your work. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage someone who's a leader to make fun of how poorly they treat somebody or mm -hmm. make fun of like, how rushed they did their slide deck for the last board meeting. Like, I mean, there's certain things that you obviously don't want to shine a magnifying glass on your foibles, but right. Um, but if the self-deprecation is just about like what kind of person you are, like you know, food that you that you cook badly or something at home. I mean, I think there's you know there's ways to just as long as you don't focus it on something that might actually be hurting an indicator of your performance, then, um, you know, that, that's the only time I really think people will, you know, have a pause about something that's self-deprecating. But for the most part, I think that people really like to be around, th those are the, you know, people like to be reminded that we're all human and we all have faults and um, we're all growing all the time. And the best leaders are leaders who are self-aware and know that they have challenges that they need to solve. I mean, the worst leaders I've worked for have been ones who just think everything that they produce is gold and right. everything they say is amazing. Right. And then they just, you know, they, it's like, surprise, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, speaking of challenges, you know, we have, we're, we're, we're having this interview in the middle of July and we've got so much going on in our country and people have lost their jobs or their businesses. Of course, not, not everybody's doing poorly economically. Some businesses right. are just killing it out there. And then we've got you know, a lot of racial tension and mm -hmm. uh, fear with the police defunding. So what is, how can people use humor uh, right now to help with, uh, this cultural crisis that we're in yeah i mean i think it's a it's a great question it's a hard thing and i think there's some there's some topics that have uh so much gravitas that it's hard to fully bring humor to you know something like uh you know like the racial injustice conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i uh you know you really can't you can't joke too much about it but I will say that what humor does do is bring people together. And I think that a lot of the problems that we're experiencing in our country systemically and recently stem from tribalism and people not getting out and seeing the world and meeting people who are different from them and understanding that we're all so much more similar than we are dissimilar. And, um, you know, if you can laugh at the same things with different people, in the room, you start to have that sort of, you start to get to know people that seem to be strangers before. So I will say that, you know, anytime that you can lighten the mood or mm -hmm. you can find humor in something mundane or something challenging, you're going to, you're going to have much better outcomes. Um, sorry, you probably hear my cat attacking. <laughs> yes. uh, She's a uh, life in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My cubicle mate is a, uh, is a feisty cat, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, um, 
you know, what, what the hope for, for all of this is that we'll see that by taking away our kind of very, we, we took for granted a lot of stuff, I think, in, you know, in the, in the months before this pandemic, a lot of the um, just things that were just so part of our daily existence are now we can't do for forever. So I think that, you know, in this time, I'm hoping that people will come out of it and realize that getting together with people or meeting new people out on the street will actually be something that we've earned back instead of something that we just took for granted. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that it will. And it has led to, you know, I think that the recent protests have shown that, you know, people are, are willing to sort of give up their health and safety and fight for what's really important in this world, uh, no matter what the global situation is. And I think that was super powerful and helped to really amplify the message and, and get it across to people how important it was to solve this, you know, now and how it's just, it's been something that has, has been bubbling forever and it's just really shameful. So I think that the good news about how hard the times are is that it's really made things more existentially important to um, folks who might have not been activists before, thought about these things before. Um, but well, yeah, is, definitely. They, people are being heard that did not feel that they were heard before. I would exactly. Say. Exactly. And, and we're questioning institutions that were not questioned in that way before. And so I think that that's really, you know, it's been really inspiring. And the hope is that we just keep pushing these conversations forward productively because of this terrible situation and have a silver lining out of it. Right, right. Well, any tips for, for, for tough, honest conversations coming from the humor expert? I have a lot of people, I know so many, I, I teach about preparing for conversations, reframing them and seeing them as not just like a, a binary, this conversation is going to make or break, but just seeing it as a pat part of the path and hopefully there'll be other conversations but for somebody who is dreading a conversation or thinking about it overthinking it like what are your what what's your take on succeeding with a tough conversation yeah i think i mean similarly a lot of the stuff we just talked mm -hmm. about i think yeah play i think that you know, being vulnerable to someone who you disagree with and, and sort of admitting, admitting your, you know, faults or fears and having them get to know you, I think is really important. I think a lot of, um, a lot of disagreements come from people just stereotyping each other, thinking that they're this one kind of thinker or person. And I think that the more time you spend with people, um, the easier it is to, feel comfortable around them and be able to reconcile your differences of opinion or philosophies. And I think, you know, I think that's really, you know, one of the, the real problems with, you know, the divide in this country. I feel like a lot of people just are in their little sort of shell and echo chamber of the same thoughts and the same memes. And, you know, you really need to, um, you really need to have conversations that are much more nuanced with people who have differences um, of opinion from you. And I think that um, by being able to sort of hear the other side and try to come to, you know, the middle on, on certain concepts and disagreements and, and also 
you know, being self-deprecating too and admitting, not, not trying to say that you're, there's so much of this in modern day of having to be better than someone instead of just realizing that no one is better than anyone else. We're all, you know, trying, you know, hopefully trying our best and trying to treat each other well. So I think that, um, you know, really trying to hear people and not act like you're better than anybody, but also try to get your points across and listen to their points and try to have really um, thoughtful sort of nuanced step-by-step conversation instead of just being entrenched in like a your own sort of corner of of a situation I think is um, but I think it's hard and I think that I think actually sort of being face to face with people whether it's on zoom now or in person I think that's really helpful too I think the internet empowers people you have this whole troll mentality of sort of hiding behind this invisible chat board and being able to say mean stuff without seeing people's reactions i think you know you know for you and i to have a conversation now like this we really see each other but if if this was something where we were just strangers on a you know facebook comment thread it's much easier to just not pick up those social cues of of Mm -hmm. you know where you might be coming from what you know what you're philosophy is like on something and just sort of seeing you as a real person instead of just like a part of like a nebulous sort of invisible group of people that um, almost you know just people don't really seem like humans to each other when you have that that sort of uh, wall between them and I think that you know the internet is has really um, radicalized people too and and yes that that nuance, yes, I, I just I just do not engage in online conversations because there's no nuance. There's no hey, but wait, but let me. No, it's terrible in my. I mean, it is, the internet has brought us a lot of good, but I think that just the way you know, Marshall McLuhan was a Canadian uh, communication philosopher, and he said the medium is the message, and because being inflammatory gets clicks that it's just made life worse in a lot of ways too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I talk about this a lot with fellow creative people, but I think the whole sort of influencer mentality of, you know, having to one-up people and be the, you know, the most famous of whatever you're trying to put out there, I think that it causes a lot of people to feel bad about themselves instead of, you know, sort of this community of peers. It's like this community of competitors in a lot of respects when, when you're sort of online and, and looking at people through that lens. Yes. Well, I, we want to end on a positive note <laughs> now that we've kind of gone of how terrible things are, but I, you know, I, one thing that, I believe in is keeping it real, keeping it real. And it is real, but there, it also is true though, that we have an unprecedented opportunity to make changes and to make our either, I mean, our family culture, our business culture, our greater culture better. So uh, Charlie, you know, what would you like to say, you know, to the the people listening to this want to become stronger communicators, they stronger leaders, they want to have more influence. What is your you know, final advice or thing you'd like to share? Sure, yeah, that's a great, great prompt. Um, I think that, you know, what, what is really inspiring about this moment for me is that I think it's, 
it's allowing us to reassess kind of everything and have the time and space to um, have really sort of productive internal conversations with ourselves about what is important to us in life, what we look forward to, what we want to cultivate, what we, you know, how we want to progress ourselves personally and professionally. So I think that um, what's really exciting about this time is it, it allows you to kind of work on your own sort of professional development and soft skills and, you know, be able to think about things more strategically and proactively for when you do go back to, um, you know, whatever your old normal was like, you know, post-vaccine. So I think that um, as far as sort of comedy and cultures and, and work goes, I think um, what's great is you realize how important the personal connections were and how exciting it is to be in a room with your team, with colleagues, even with people who you didn't get along with before this, right. but you realize that you miss seeing them around the water cooler. Uh, yes. And, and even telling them that, you know, that could even be funny saying, you know what, I really didn't see eye to eye with you and had some problems with you, but it turns out I really liked you when I thought about it and I'm mm -hmm. pumped we're back together. And um, I think that, and as far as leadership goes, I think it's a really good opportunity to figure out what the core of your message and your business is and um, and also know that your employees are still able to do good work even in tough times and even in remote times i think that you know we'll come out of this with more sort of sustainable companies people will realize that you know having their employees be remote a little more will help with their carbon imprint or carbon footprint of the company and mm -hmm. um you know just also appreciating the, the little things more for their for their workforce so i think that um you know it's a good opportunity to start thinking about what you find is funny and what you think is funny and um then being able to sh share that out with the world it'll be uh, a little bit of a wait but i think it'll be really rewarding to then be able to sort of test it out with with people that you that you are around sort of once once we reopen more so i think it's you know i'm a big fan of strategic planning and proactive work. And, and I think that this time as, as hard as it is and, and how tragic it is too, there are some opportunities for people to treat each other better and also treat themselves better and think about um, sort of what their, what their real goals are. And, um, and that's really exciting. Yes, this is awesome. They're just thinking, listening to this, I want you to, take Charlie's words to heart and see what you can do to make somebody laugh today and imagine how much better uh, the world would be. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your time with us, Charlie. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate being here.